Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are studying the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this session, we're going to be looking at some things that Jesus said concerning John the Baptist, uh, John's uh, doubt and questioning of Jesus as the Messiah, uh, Jesus' response to that. And we're also going to be looking at a parable that Jesus gave uh, concerning the generation that uh, uh, was present at the time that Jesus walked the face of this earth. And this is still in his Galilean ministry. And so I think we're going to learn some things, some valuable things for us in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus. We, you so encourage us, Lord. You said in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Amen. And I thank you, Father. You're always faithful and you're good and true towards those who love you with all of their hearts. Lord, we just ask you to bless the study today and we give you praise, honor and glory for that in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right. Now, this is a message that John sent to Jesus while he was in prison. And of course, uh, this uh, portion of our study today is found in Matthew chapter 11 and verse two. And we'll begin reading there. Now, when Jesus had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Are you he that should come or do we look for another? So you can see here the, uh, the, the doubt in John. And it is evident to me that John had been in prison for some time. And John most likely was part of that popular teaching at that time that when Messiah came immediately, he would usher in change. But no real change had taken place. And it could be that John was confused about this and just wanted assurance that Jesus indeed was the Messiah or should he be looking for someone else? Now, John, G, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away uh, the sin of the world. And so John identified Jesus. Nobody had to tell him about Jesus. He knew by the Spirit uh, who Jesus was. But now we see him, like so many of us today, we see him in a place of doubt. Maybe um, uh, he's not quite sure. Maybe his, his, uh, uh, his teaching, <laughs> like so many of us today, uh, his teaching, what he was taught, is not lining up with the reality uh, concerning uh, the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jesus answered and said to him, this is in verse four, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to him. When Jesus first appeared on the scene, what did he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the opening of the eyes of the blind, uh, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And see what John, what Jesus is saying here. See, this is evidence of what I declared when I first began 
this ministry. And then Jesus says this, and this is something that you and I can take home with us. Take with us as we go. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, the word offended comes from the Greek word skandalizo, and it is a verb, and it means to cause someone to lose faith. In this case, it would be to lose faith in Christ or to come to distrust or to desert, you see. And so let's read this again. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So Jesus basically is telling John's disciples, you go back to him and you tell him, John, do not be offended in me. In other words, do not begin to lose faith in me. Do not begin to distrust me and do not desert me. You are blessed. And let me tell you today, Christian believer, you are blessed. Amen. And so I want to ask you, are you deserting Christ? Or have you already done so? Are you beginning to lose faith in Christ? Listen, do not, do not, do not lose faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that the scripture tells us, everything that Jesus has told us will come to pass, will come to pass. But it's not going to be on our time schedule. It is on his time schedule. Amen. Praise God. Just make sure that your faith is rooted in the things of God, the word of God, and it is rooted in Christ. So going back to uh, this event here, change indeed was happening. But not in the capacities and in the institutions upon earth the Jews thought they would be. The Jews thought the Messiah would usher in new government, but Rome was still the oppressor. The Jews thought Messiah would restore Israel to former glory, but Israel was still oppressed. John understood the Messiah to be the suffering servant of the Lord, but Herod disposed of John before Jesus went to the cross. Amen. Before he had fulfilled that which he said at the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we have that entire conversation in John chapter three. And so in verse seven, and as they departed, Jesus began to say in the multitude concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken with the wind? You see, it's so easy. It is so easy to get out of the faith realm and to get over into the sight realm. Remember what Paul said. Walk by faith and not by sight. And see what happened to John. And it's you can certainly understand here. John is he has the anointing on him and he's ministering. And here he is. He gets arrested. He gets thrown into prison. And he's not ministering at all now. And he's in prison for months. And he hears about the great thing Jesus is doing, but he's not. He's not hearing about any changes. He's still bound. Rome is still in charge. And so in situations like this, it's very easy to get out of the spirit realm and to get over into the natural realm, to get out of the faith realm over into the sight realm. You see, and this is this is what happened to John and Jesus. 
when the disciples of John came, Jesus gave them and told them to go tell John to give assurance to John the Baptist that, yes, I am he. Praise God. And so verse seven again, and as they departed, and let me go ahead and say this before we move on. God will encourage you. He will encourage you. I know there was times in my ministry where I was ready to quit. I was ready to give it up. And I kept saying, Lord, and I prayed, Lord, Lord, I need you to give me the strength. I need you to give me the courage uh, to go on. And lo and behold, God did that. Praise God. And he allowed me through his power and through his grace and his mercy to finish my ministry concerning concerning uh, the uh, the ministry of pastor. Verse seven. And as they departed, Jesus began to say on the multitudes concerning John, went, went ye out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken with the wind. But went went. But what went you out for to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Now, a reed shaken in the wind. Of course, you know, that's reeds or canes. Uh, and they grow by the water's edge. And oftentimes they would be shaken with the wind. You can see that if you're walking along a uh, riverbank and the wind is blowing, you can see that. And basically, Jesus is saying here, did they uh, see a man who would be swayed by popular opinion? And the answer is no. John the Baptist would not be swayed by popular opinion. That's the reason why the establishment hated John, because he would not side himself with them. He sided with God and God alone. And of course, God, through John, was trying to preach to the Pharisees that they were sinners and that they needed to repent. And what John preached convicted them. And for that, they hated him. Uh, He did not preach to the people to gain their favor. John preached to them, to convict them of sin and to bring them to repentance. Amen. And John was not one of the establishment. He was not one of them. He was not one of the Pharisees. He was not one of the Sadducees. Amen. He was kind of reminds me of President Trump. He was not President Trump was not a politician. He was not part of the establishment. And the establishment hated him for it because he was for the people and the people loved him for it. See, so what um, the establishment has done to our president, that's not something new. That's exactly what the establishment in Jesus day did to our Lord and Savior. So the common man then, just like today, is fed up with the establishment. Because they think and act for themselves and not for the people. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. So what John brought to the people was fresh and real. Think about the message of President Trump, how fresh and real it was. Jesus spoke to John spoke to their soul. And he wasn't one of the establishment. He was one with them. Amen. He was one with the people. The people loved John and the establishment hated him. Amen. Now let's finish this out. Verse eight again. But what went ye out for to see? 
a man clothed in soft raiment, behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy faith, before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So here we see Jesus, John as the forerunner of Jesus, the one sent by God to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah Jesus. And the people rejected him, not the common people. We're talking about the rulers. And then Jesus says this in verse 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. This is a divine estimate. This is not man's estimate. Man's estimate was John was an outsider. Uh, he's not like us. We don't think what he does is right. So we're going to stop it. No, what Jesus said is the divine estimate. And so I want to ask you a question. What's most important to you? What God thinks of you or what man thinks of you? Do you think it's okay to be a man pleaser? Or do you rather think it's best to be a God pleaser? If you choose to be a God pleaser, then you will have enemies. And you will have people that will talk about you. But listen, I'd rather have the Lord Jesus say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. than for Jesus to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's time, folks, to make a stand for Jesus. It's time to make a stand for the word of God. And if there's things in your church that are not of God, that are wrong, then it's time for the people of God to stand up. And to say they are, let's have the boldness and the courage of John the Baptist. If things in the church are not right, let's work to make them right. And yes, we will ruff, ruffle feathers. And yes, we will step on toes. But hey, I'd rather have the favor of God than the favor of men. Amen. And verse 12 reading, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Well, actually, I didn't finish verse 11. Let's go back up there. Verily, I say it to you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So Jesus says here, there has not risen a prophet greater than John. But yet Jesus says, but he that's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Amen. Think about that. The greatness of John the Baptist was the fact that he was the forerunner. He was the one that prepared the way for the Lord Jesus. It was the prophets in the Old Testament that spoke of the Messiah. John actually prepared the way for him. Praise God. Amen. Now, I want to ask you a question. Was John born again? The answer is no. Was John the Baptist saved? The answer is yes. He was saved under the old covenant. He was executed before Jesus went to the cross, but he was still saved under the old covenant.
John died before the Jews. So who is least in the kingdom of heaven? Well, this has to be a clear statement of the coming church. Because Jesus in about a year's time, a year and a half time, he's going to go to the cross. Amen. And that's when the kingdom of heaven, amen, breaks out. Glory to God. So there's nothing greater in this world than the born again believer in Christ Jesus. Those who are born of the spirit. Those who make up the church of the Lord Jesus today. Amen. Praise God. That's you and that's me. So verse 12 says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, uh, kingdom of heaven is Vasilea, Ton, or Anon, kingdom of heaven. Amen. And of course, the, the, the term here suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's a Greek word that means to press into or to seize. So at this time, many in Israel and outside of Israel, too, like Tyre and Sidon, they were pressing into God's kingdom. As evidenced by the dynamics of the ministry of John the Baptist. But see, now they were not made perfect. They were pressing in. John's ministry was to prepare them for the coming of Messiah. And so by pressing into the kingdom, they were seizing the kingdom. See, that's what's going on today. Men and women are pressing into the kingdom. They are seizing uh, the kingdom. Amen. Not to overcome it, not to dominate it. You know, we're not attacking the kingdom. That's the kingdom of darkness that's trying to attack uh, the kingdom of God. But they're failing. No, not to overcome or dominate it, but to press into it. In other words, to be a part of it, like. Pressing parts into a mold. Amen. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. In other words, many are pressing into the kingdom. Amen. And these that are pressing into the kingdom are going to be found in the kingdom of God after Jesus Christ and his death, burial and resurrection. And then, of course, verse verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hear, hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's go ahead and read uh, Malachi in chapter four, verses one through six. Because this is what Jesus is referring to here. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. And you will tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I am preparing, says the Lord. So in the end, who's going to be the winner? Amen. It's going to be God and it's going to be the people that follow God. Amen. So don't be despaired because it seems like evil is triumphing. It's only momentary. Uh, The war is not lost. Maybe some battles uh, the, the wicked are winning, but it's only temporary. What we are doing in the kingdom of God is eternal. Amen. 
Now, let's read out the rest of Malachi. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Praise God. So Jesus is coming. He's coming for his saints. We are the kingdom of God here on earth. We are the members of Christ. And we're here, amen, to preach the gospel and to send it by whatever means throughout this world to gather together as many as we can before that day comes. Praise God. And so now 16 through 19 verses, uh, Matthew chapter 11 verses 16 through 19, Jesus gives a parable concerning the gener- generation that Jesus is speaking of here. Now he says this, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We, da- we sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. Notice that. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. You, Amen. Are proved right by your actions as long as your actions are in line with Jesus commands. Okay, so this is a parable that's implicating the Jews. And most especially the Pharisees and the establishment of that day. Both John and the Lord Jesus came from the father to minister to them. And so the ministry of Jesus speaks of the wedding song that this parable uh, mentions. Amen. The coming of Jesus as Messiah is a time to rejoice and to be glad for Messiah has come. Glory. Hallelujah. And of course, the funeral dirge that Jesus speaks of speaks of the Baptist message of repentance and acknowledgement that Jesus has that Israel has drifted far away from God. And the marketplace was the theater Jesus would use to preach, teach and to heal those who came to him. And this is what we're studying, the ministry of the Lord Jesus. But this is the sad fact. It didn't matter what the Lord Jesus preached. It didn't matter the miracles he did. The generation that Jesus preached would not believe. They would not believe. It's not that they could not believe. They would not believe. And of course, it's this generation that will crucify the Lord Jesus. They crucified him. They arrested him. They arrested John and they executed John. But now Jesus said this in the parable, but those who are wise will be proven to be right in their faith. This is my understanding of this. Those that are wise that Jesus speaks of are those that will be proven to be right in their faith in the Lord Jesus and in the preaching of John. Now, who do you think this these people are? Well, it's the remnant. Very small remnant, but a remnant. God has always had a remnant. On the day of Pentecost, who were those that were filled with the Holy Spirit? The remnant. And there is a remnant today. They are the ones 
Amen. Praise God. That will be victorious. Glory to God. So the greatest indictment upon sinners at the judgment of Christ will be that even though they heard the gospel of Christ many times and heard of the mighty works being done in the name of Jesus, they would not believe and they did nothing about it. You see, and that's terrible. So I want to talk for just a moment about the sin of unbelief and then we'll close. The sin of unbelief can be broken into two parts. The inability to believe and refusing to believe. Now, the inability to believe is due to a lack of understanding of the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of the word of God, the reality of the things that Jesus taught. You know, the inability of the reality of the kingdom of God and how it operates. Well, this type of unbelief is cured by, by accurate teaching. I tell you, if pastors in churches would just start accurately teaching the word of God, it would change their congregations. Amen. Because it's the teaching of the word of God that builds up one's faith to believe. You cannot believe beyond accurate knowledge. You must have accurate knowledge in order to have faith. So this inability to believe this type of unbelief can be cured. But now the second type is refusing to believe. And this is due to disobedience and just out rebellion. The establishment in Jesus day would not bow their knee to John. They would not bow their knee to Jesus. They refused to believe in them because the words of John and Jesus indicted them. Revealing the sin nature that it was in them, it was in their hearts. And so this type of unbelief leads to judgment. And it cannot, if it's not changed, it will not be cured. People who refuse to receive teaching will refuse always to have the inability to believe. And of course, the sin of unbelief. This type of unbelief that we're talking about, refusing to believe, we see examples in Second Kings chapter 7. You know, we don't have time to go through that chapter now, but you can read that chapter. Read that entire chapter and you'll see, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But now Jesus said this in John 38 through 40, and you have not the scriptures abiding in you, talking about the generation we're speaking of. For whom he has sent him, you believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me. Notice that. Notice the imperative. And you will not come to me that you might have life. See, unbelief is very dangerous. Well, we are out of time, so let's go ahead and pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you, Father. Now, Lord, we just check our life to see if there's any measure of unbelief working. Lord, and if there is, if we acknowledge that and we recognize that, then we know the cure. The cure is the study and the teaching of the word of God. We're going to remedy that situation. And we're not going to be found of those who refuse to believe. No, Lord. We choose to believe. We choose to believe your word. We choose to believe in the sayings of Jesus. And as an act of faith right now, we, we believe the sayings of Jesus. 
and we are working at work right now uh, to uh, make them real in our life. And we give you thanks for that, Father. Now bless, amen, every hearer of this message today, and we'll give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.